The reading of the Scriptures from Psalm 23. I invite your uh, reverent attention, gladful hearing of the Lord's Word here in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, one of the uh, great ways that God uh, teaches us about uh, the majesty of His person as well as the greatness of His works is in figures of speech. Uh, there are two similes in our text this morning uh, that are comparisons about God that enable us to relate to His majesty because of our familiarity uh, with uh, the two similes. But they converge here uh, to give us a remarkable understanding of who our Savior is, as well as uh, in what He has done for us. Two aspects, uh, two similes, teach us about the majesty of our Savior and what He has done for us. Uh, the two similes, of course, are uh, the uh, fact that our Lord is a uh, shepherd, uh, the second one is that he is a marvelous host uh, in extending to us hospitality. And they acknowledge uh, the complete provision of our Lord through life and, of course, on into eternity. Uh, the psalm, in my mind, presupposes uh, a lament in that David has gone through some very difficult time in his life. We don't really know what that could be. But the power of the language here suggests uh, that that is uh, exactly the case, uh, that he has uh, been engaged by a very lamentable experience. Uh, that's uh, important for all of us because we all sometimes dance with difficult times. Uh, and yet, uh, David will tell us that the Lord God will bring us through them all in a remarkable way. Uh, the acknowledgement of that is in, again, these two similes. The first, uh, our Lord is shepherd, verses 1 to 4. And then secondly, that He is uh, a great host, uh, verses 5 and 6. Uh, and the similes teach us uh, who our Savior is, uh, but from that there is unraveled uh, the majesty of what He does. Uh, so David begins with a declaration of trust, and then he details uh, the reason. The confession of uh, trust is established in these great words, the Lord is my shepherd. It's important to uh, understand that David claims no other shepherd. There are lots of shepherds in life. Uh, David excludes them all save the Lord as his shepherd. It's a personal acknowledgement. Notice the first person possessive pronoun. He is my shepherd. 
Uh, its power teaches us that no other shepherd will do. Uh, there are many shepherds in life. David rejects them all save the Lord. Uh, and the uh, possessive pronoun engages his personal commitment. It is his uh, attachment to the Lord, his forsaking of all others, uh, his claiming that the Lord is his shepherd, uh, that our faith is a, a pronounced personal engagement. It is a personal faith. Uh, you can never get to heaven on my faith or the faith of the people in Grace Bible Church or the faith in the people in the Reformed community. It must be your faith. You must be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. If one chooses other shepherds, he will suffer a pronounced loss. Uh, this is detailed for us in uh, Psalm uh, 49, in verses 13 and 14. Uh, this is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. As sheep, they are appointed for Sheol, and death shall be their shepherd. We don't think in those terms. But there is either the Lord is your shepherd, or death is your shepherd. It's just simply one or the other. What the psalmist continually teaches us is the two types of men the man of God and all the rest, the man who trusts the Lord as his shepherd, or all who have de facto death as their shepherd. That seemingly, to me, makes the choice easy. But there's nothing easy about making the Lord your shepherd, but it begins with a personal encounter by faith and belief of who he is and what he does and what he accomplishes in your place. That Without David's shepherd, all is lost. And so we, as individuals and as a congregation, must forsake all others. There's something of an expression of this in our culture, particularly the Christian culture. Uh, Christian culture in America is becoming very pluralistic. Accepting of all other faiths as different ways to God. David would never think in those terms. I know we uh, sometimes in our culture bristle at the concept of exclusiveness. But that is the point that David has no other shepherd because no other shepherd will do. And we must think in uh, God's terms and think his thoughts after him, regardless of the winds of our culture. It, it forms the basis of David's confession, I shall not want or be lacking. When God is your shepherd, you don't lack really for anything that is essential and necessary. Another translation reads, I have everything that I need. And when God is your shepherd, when Christ, your Savior, is your shepherd, you have every essential in life to see you through to the end. It's an acknowledgement of God's grace. Uh, 
Uh, we know this because uh, the greater fulfillment of this is in Christ. There are many, many verses throughout the Old Testament that speak as uh, the Lord or God is a shepherd and that he has great pasture land for his sheep. Uh, eschatologically, it's uh, fulfilled uh, in Christ and by Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Christ says, uh, I am the good shepherd. It's probably a double allusion to every verse that speaks of God as shepherd, but also to the great uh, expression of God as he identifies himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, I am, so that Christ uh, unites the two with this great pronouncement, I am. I am the God of Exodus 3.14. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's why we have everything that we need. Because our shepherd spent himself uh, in our service and our cause. It's also an eschatological realization. Uh, we have, uh, when the Lord is our shepherd, uh, present provisions, but we also have uh, the fullness of eschatological provision, perhaps I think expressed in a very beautiful way in the Apostle John in Revelation chapter uh, 7 uh, and the 17th verse, that the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life that are in the eternal city. Two almost ironic similes. The Lord is lamb and the Lord is shepherd. A reminder of present as well as eternal provisions and really all that it means when David says, I have everything that I need. So this is who the shepherd is. It's Christ. Documented for us in his I am statements, the Gospel of John, the book of the Revelation. Uh, but what, is, what does our shepherd do for us uh, that should, in every sense of the word, bind us to perpetual loyalty to him in light of his loyalty to us as our shepherd? Uh, well, again, he makes temporal provisions uh, that anticipate eternal provisions. And so David begins, we know who the shepherd is, so what does he do? Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's the sufficiency of pasturage. Uh, Ezekiel 34, uh, God speaks that uh, he'll provide pasturage for his sheep. Here is the fulfillment in Christ. Uh, he leads me besides uh, the still waters. Uh, the text presupposes in my mind that David has come through a profound, barren experience in his life uh, that was dry and thirsty. It's the reality of life. Uh, many false teachers uh, proclaim that you come to Jesus, everything will go well. There'll be new cars and new jobs and bigger paychecks and all that's a bunch of nonsense. It's not that God doesn't bless us, materially does. But the greatest provisions are the spiritual provisions and what God does in seeing us through dry and difficult times. And that's what I mean when I say that David has come through some profound, lamentable experience. And that is the essence of life. Because of the fall of Adam, we don't escape anything. 
Christians get sick, they get cancer, they lose jobs, they get fired, they lose friends. Things break. But when Christ is your shepherd, he will see you through them all. And the shepherd leads him through it to a time and place of refreshment. The remarkable thing about uh, the Lord is your shepherd is that Christians are not left to wander self-directed. Much of the evangelical confessions of faith and the way that they live their lives acknowledge that we can accept Christ as our Savior and then go lead our lives in whatever way we choose or want. David is uh, putting the folly to that nonsense. The point of the claiming Christ as your shepherd is that he leads you. That's what shepherds do. And instinctively, the sheep follow. Uh, that theology is made all the clearer by John the Apostle in his gospel. When he says, my sheep are my voice, I know them and they follow me. We, it's true, on occasion, may seemingly lose sight of our shepherd. But in reality and ultimately experientially, he is leading us through it all. If it were not so, none of us would make it to the end. It is so. And therefore, we will be brought to the end because the Lord is the good shepherd. It defines us as belonging to Christ, that he leads and we instinctively follow. Uh, there is uh, something of this in uh, another uh, metaphor from the Scriptures uh, from our last study, Old Testament book in particular, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49 in verse 10 uh, uses the metaphor of the Christian faith as a second exodus uh, on the way to heaven. They will not hunger or thirst, neither will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. Uh, the promise uh, is not just the beginning, but the destination. When Christ is your shepherd, you get not only a beginning, but you get the end. And again, I remind you that so many in the evangelical faith would uh, deny the theological reality of that and the assurance of the perseverance of the saints. But here are texts that make it so and proclaim it to be so. Because he is our shepherd, we will get to the end. Because he is our shepherd, we will persevere to the end and the greatest of exodus of all times. We have just come through in the experience of some in our country who proclaim the historic reality of the Passover. Uh, for us, it's fulfilled in Christ. He is our Passover. But he's not only the lamb, he's the shepherd. And shepherds lead their flock. And so Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, we have more than uh, a historic uh, faith. It's a real faith. It's a living faith that promises us not just the beginning but the end. And this is why David confesses that the Lord is his shepherd. 
The reality for us, again, is captured by the Apostle John, I give eternal life to them. And they shall never perish. Because the shepherd is always with his flock, leading, guiding. And in the worst of times, it's the best of times because of his presence. It's also spiritual provision. 23rd Psalm, verse 3, he restores my soul. The Hebrew verb is literally to return. He, uh, he makes our soul return. Now, literally, it's he brings me back. Uh, captured for us uh, by the Apostle Peter, chapter 2, verse 25 in his first epistle. You have returned to the guardian, the shepherd of your soul. And the reality for us is uh, the incredible acknowledgement that Christ is the only shepherd that can fix the soul. Because of the fall of Adam, our, our souls are broken. They have massive fissures and cracks and chips. Nothing can repair it. Shave the true shepherd of the sheep who alone can fix souls because of who he is. It's a great expression of why you're not a Christian. You should come to the great shepherd of the sheep because you cannot fix your own. No other shepherd will do. There is but one and one only. And here David is acknowledging that that he causes our soul to return. It's a marvelous expression of the incredible power of the forgiveness of sin affected by Jesus Christ. We muck up lots of things in our lives. Christ is the only one qualified to fix them all. The degree becomes almost irrelevant when you're the great shepherd because of the majesty of his qualifications to do it all, to affect it all. David continues, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That salvation is not just a one-time event. It's a journey. It requires a guide. Christ is it. The word path is is uh, that of a well-worn path, a beaten path, if you will. Uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, reads a beaten path, meaning that our faith is not some mystical or esoteric event. I mean, it is in a measure, uh, but in the fullness of the reality, it's well-known, it's visible, it can be seen. You and I know that in historic orthodoxy. It's always an amazement to me that all of the great reformed confessional statements of the Christian faith say virtually the same thing over and over and over again. We sometimes think that, ah, I just can't understand it. I, I just don't get it. It's just too esoteric. But it's not. It is a well-worn, beaten path that our shepherd leads and guides us in. It means that there are historic corrections in our faith, not just in the Bible, but in the great confessional statements of the church. 
the four verbs in, in uh, this passage that I've already mentioned speak of universal and repeated action. That these are the universal experiences of the sheep linked to the universality of the greatness of him who is the only shepherd of the sheep. They, of course, capture our security and our perseverance. Uh, David has encountered a time of danger, and God has provisioned him and brought him through it. And perhaps uh, there is another encounter of danger, is there not? Uh, in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, it is a valley that all of us are in in our present lives. Uh, I remind certainly our young people, we don't think in those terms, but we should that death has a hold of us and will not let go. The longer you live, the more you will experience it. Things in your body will break. Your health will become evidently worse the longer you proceed into that deep, dark valley. All of us go through that. I'm not unmindful that there are not times that are more intense and more breaking. I'm not unmindful that sometimes in uh, the greatness of the provision of modern-day medical science that we might be given a reprieve. But that reprieve is only, only temporary. And it is what should drive us all the more to confess Christ is our shepherd. Because at the grave, all other shepherds turn back. He's the only shepherd beyond the grave. That every religion, Islam, Hinduism, Put whatever name you want to in. may take you to the grave, but they cannot lead you beyond it. That he is the only shepherd of the sheep beyond the valley of the shadow of death. And temporally, David has the promise of the divine presence and a sure and certain guide. Now, I love the phrase that uh, uh, you're out in your staff. Uh, meaning that our shepherd is armed and dangerous. Uh, last week, I, I reminded you of the perpetual danger of the Christian captured in uh, the language of our Lord when he tells his disciples, uh, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. We have no natural protection. We have no natural armor save that which has been given us and save for the reality that our shepherd is armed and dangerous and will protect us with his rod and his staff. It's a provision that should vacate fear. Death is a terrifying event, but you and I should learn uh, that we should be able to confront it absent fear absent a measure of fear, uh, because uh, he is our shepherd and will see us through to the end. Uh, the word comfort uh, uh, has an eschatological and Christological connotation. 
great reminder of uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 2, that he is our comfort. Our shepherd is our comfort. Uh, I, I remind you that uh, when our, our Savior entered the synagogue and was given uh, the Isaiah text to read, uh, he read uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, and then sat down and said, today these words have been fulfilled in your midst. That Christ is our daily comfort and our comfort through the end and throughout all of eternity. If, uh, if you cannot confess Christ is your shepherd, sufficient to say that the word of God says that you are in a very bad way, that your shepherd is death, and it will shepherd you throughout all eternity. And it is something that I would encourage to you as a, a preacher of the gospel to forsake death as your shepherd and come to Christ and confess him and use and attach the first person singular possessive pronoun that Christ is my shepherd. I believe and I hope and trust in him. And then he will become your shepherd. And all of the things that David has said that the shepherd will do for his sheep will come true for you. It's a compelling reason to forsake death and choose life. Verses 5 and 6, we shift from the metaphor of shepherd or the simile of shepherd to that of host. And first, we, we have uh, uh, the identity of the host and then what the host does for us. And that as host, God provisions us temporally which uh, anticipates the eternal. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was a uh, solemn uh, duty of protection and provision. Uh, it's just simply not part of our culture. Uh, we, uh, we practice hospitality less and less in our culture. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad necessarily, but uh, it has a way of... Uh, clouding of the hospitality that Christ gives to us as our great host. I don't know whether it's too busy or we just simply don't care. Perhaps it's both. Uh, we just don't do it much anymore. Uh, I would uh, hope in some manner your understanding that uh, Christ is the greatest of all hosts that perhaps in your own Christian faith you might learn to practice it a bit more in the life of the church. Because a great reminder of the majesty of Christ when he is host of the table and all that he does is host. But in the ancient Near East, for example, you recall the great story of uh, uh, the angels that take upon human bodies to come to knock on the door of Lot in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He receives them and he becomes their host. The men of the city come and say, we want them. Uh, Lot refuses because of the ancient hospitality that he has offered a place of safety to those that are his guests. And it is something of that that reminds us of the greatness of Christ who gives us protection and the solemnity of his duty as he provides for us uh, by giving us a way station in our exodus to heaven. Uh, thou dost prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. Uh, the word table is a, uh, a technically a profound figure of speech. A technical word for it is a metonymy of subject. The table is the subject, but David does not want for us to focus on the subject. He wants for us to focus upon what's on the table. And in that, there's everything imaginable for our spiritual needs and wants. Uh, it speaks to us in a profound way of uh, the present reality of the majesty of the forgiveness of sin that comes to us every day, of the grace of God that provisions us in every day, in every way, so much so that the table is almost laden, uh, that it is bending over the weight of the majesty of the, of the height and depth and heaviness of the grace of God. Remarkable that the table is set before him in the presence of his enemies. Uh, it's a celebration from a time of great distress, meaning that David has come through victorious and vindicated. And the wicked will watch him eat and celebrate while they are entirely wanting and excluded. Reminds me of the words of the Apostle John, Revelation 22, outside, inside of heaven, uh, we celebrate a reminder of the words, uh, blessed are those who have a part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Greatest invitation of all time, to adorn yourself with the righteousness of Christ that you might come and be brought to the marriage supper of the Lamb time of pronounced, intense, eternally intense provision to celebrate, coming through life, being vindicated by God. And outside are the dogs and the liars and the idolaters. They will watch us celebrate. Uh, but they cannot participate, for the day has closed upon them, and they rejected the Savior. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. The host provides refreshment in an anointing for an honored guest upon arrival. Again, oftentimes in the expression of the hospitality, the servants would wash one's feet because of a dry and dusty experience. We don't think in those terms, uh, uh, but we should uh, in to what they indicate. As well, the host would oftentimes anoint his guests with oil to refresh them, to remind them that they're about to celebrate. Uh, in that sense, the arrival is a cure in and of itself. My cup overflows. Again, you can sense the depth of the celebration. Have you ever gone to a dinner party and you said, well, God, I wish the host would fill my water glass? Never happens to you, but it's happened to me. I, for whatever reason, I always like to consume lots of water. I don't mean to bore you, but uh, my, my cup runs dry. When Christ is your host, your cup never runs dry. Again, it's a figure of speech. Um, autonomy of cause, but the author intends the effect. What's the effect? When Christ is your host, you want for nothing. 
the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament that this verse uh, reads, uh, your cup cheers me as the best of wine. Something of that is or not in uh, the first uh, wedding that our Lord uh, blessed uh, his presence with. Uh, he turned uh, the water into wine and it didn't run out until the celebration was over. Picture of our journey. Our cup runs over. So that David is accepted and received uh, with intimacy. And the celebration for us uh, in light of temporal provisions become eternal. Uh, the celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb is eternal. Uh, the final uh, provision, perhaps a uh, comprehensive summary and affirmation, uh, verse uh, 6, uh, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The, uh, the better translation for follow from the Hebrew Bible is uh, pursue me. To me, it's much more intense. Places much more active sense that uh, mercy and uh, goodness of God are pursuing us, running us to ground. Uh, these are, uh, perhaps if you've already noticed, are two of the attributes of God. God is good to his people. Uh, I know there are times in which we go through dry and lonely places, but I remind you that God is good. He is perpetually good. His goodness will never run out because of who he is and what he does. Uh, the word loving kindness in the New American Standard, or perhaps in your own translation, the word mercy is uh, more pronounced. It's the great covenantal term in God's loyal love for his people. Uh, it occurs over and over with the majesty of God that he is, he is loyal uh, to those whom he loves and his loyalty never runs out. Uh, we live in an incredibly disloyal culture. We ought to recover that in the life of our church and be loyal to one another because it's an expression of the loyalty of God to his people. Uh, but it, it captures two words in one, God's loyal love. That from eternity past, God loved us and set his love upon us. And he loves us to the end. It runs us to ground. It pursues us. It is behind us, and we can hear it and see it and feel it. And it catches up with us in Jesus Christ. This is what pursues David. But think about it in this sense. The shepherd is before him, and the attributes of God are behind him as vanguard and rear guard. That David is being led, he's also followed, encompassed all about. For all our talk about pursuing God in the end, it is God's pursuit of and love for us. It's the very basis of our faith. For all our talk about loyalty, it is God's abiding loyalty to us that is the decisive event of our loyalty to him. They both collude and come together in Jesus Christ. And then the final destination. Uh, the Greek translation 
uh, was chosen by the New American Standard, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the Hebrew Bible, the verb is to return. I'll return to the house of the Lord. It's the same verb as in verse 3. The reference is to the tabernacle uh, where the localized presence of God uh, had its uh, home. And the pilgrims will return in the great pilgrim feasts to the home of God in Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm uh, 27 and verse 4. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. That the pilgrims had a decisive passion to go be where God dwelled. How we ought to recover that in the life of the physical presence of God in the life of the church where God assembles with His people. The tabernacle was a prototype of the temple and the temple was a prototype of Christ that He guides us to heaven and is with us now. And that we are never lost in life or eternity because we are in Him and He is in us. We have eternal home but it's with us now because of Christ. So visiting uh, our good friend Ron Stromberg a couple weeks back. But Ron, I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you, and I'm going to leave a word out. And I want you to tell me what that word is. So I read through the entire psalm, save the last word. I stopped. And I forced him to say forever. It is a surging, compelling hope that we are not lost. We shall come to the end of our days and see God. Great words of the 73rd Psalm, you will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. That's true when Christ is your shepherd and your host. He will cause us to return. Great permanent abode. And we will be with Him forever. It's captured for us, is it not, in the great words of our Savior, John chapter 14. My Father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be. Where I am, you will be. Let me say it again. Where I am, you will be forever and ever, world without end. Uh, great words, I think, that collapse in the great eternal provision. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. Her loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. And they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be among them. That's our present experience uh, this day and every day uh, because of Christ, our shepherd and our host. The issue for you 
is just as personal as it was for David. Is he your shepherd? Is he your host? 